2: It is indeed. And hour number two is underway at night. It's past 10 o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us. It's uh, Thursday, the second morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2020. So we're just two days into what we are told is another 30 day lockdown, if you will. The president didn't actually call it that. There is no national federal order for shelter in place. He said it is up to the states because every state has a different scenario. And he's right. But I think some 37 states have indeed put in place some sort of shelter-in-place or stay-at-home orders by uh, their various governments and state assemblies. So uh, this is where we are, and he says uh, about 30 more days, you know, or 28 more days now, is what we're going to have to deal with him before we're able to reevaluate. The question is, as always, is the cure perhaps worse than the virus. Joining us now to discuss all things coronavirus, lockdowns, and more is our friend Dr. Everett Piper. He is the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University where he rose to fame, I think, in some senses because of an article he wrote called Not a Daycare. uh, And then he turned that into a book. He is now a best-selling author because of that book. He is a columnist for The Washington Times, and he is a very highly sought-after public speaker as well as political pundit. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing great. Are you tired of talking about coronavirus Oh, my
2: goodness. Oh, you have no idea. I, I, are you, Dr. Piper, how are you dealing with it? I mean, because I do have to do this on a daily basis, and I have to watch other people talk about it to see what is being said, see what our president says, see what the doctors are saying, see what the local... I've got to watch and listen to it because I have to be informed when I come to the airways every day, but you have no idea how much I just want to turn it all off.
3: Oh, I know. And and there are many types of viruses, if you will. Some of them are biological some of them are intellectual and mental and spiritual, and I think a virus plaguing our entire country right now is this virus of negativity and fear. Um, and we need, to, we need to address that virus just as much as we're addressing the, the one that attacks body. In fact, uh, if I, my theology may be off here, so I'll be the first to admit it, but Jesus told us that we should fear him who um, can... Fear not those who can harm the body... Fear rather him who can damn the soul. Now, is this virus of negativity and fear, is this virus of forfeiting our freedoms, is this virus that's corrupting our mind, heart, and soul, is it something that we should be fearful of? Well, Christ Himself tells us that we should be fearful of the things that attack those essential components of our identity and our human being. As much, if not more so, than those things that actually attack the body.
2: That is a, a very. I love the fact that you found scripture uh, to to make that point as well as you often do, and that is very well said. Let's let's just dive head on into your column for the Times uh, from this past Friday uh, to talk about that and and why and how it is that the virus corrupting our souls or at least our minds, and I guess well, and you could explain perhaps the uh, the connection to the soul, but um from our from our leaders i've been talking this morning about leadership i've been talking about what they're doing in new york what they're doing in seattle what's going on in washington at the white house what's going on in ohio here at our state house etc and i'm talking about the various responses to this from leaders let's talk about that climate of fear that is created let's talk about as you wrote on uh, on uh, for your column on friday they are so quick to give us all of the doom and gloom numbers. And, of course, we do need to be up to date on the number of people who have died from complications related to the virus, the number of people infected, et cetera. But there is a, a lot of information that would make people feel better, that would bring light to the soul, perhaps, if you will, that they are just not publicizing. And the big question is why. Dr. Piper, go ahead.
3: Well, I did write. And, you know, one of the one of the dangers, Bob, in commenting on the coronavirus today or at least on writing, you've got an advantage. What you say today, you can update and correct tomorrow. But what I write last week, by the time you read it uh, five days later, or we discuss it on the show, the numbers are all out of date, and people are going to say, well, you were wrong. Well, no, the principle is still there. The principle of are we willing to forfeit our freedoms because of fear of a disease? Are we asking questions? Are we open to asking questions? Are we still free enough within our culture that if somebody wants to raise their hand and say, wait a second, calm down. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just last week that said, uh, it it was written by two professors from Stanford, medical school professors from Stanford, who did their analysis of the data, and they came to the conclusion that the mortality rate for COVID-19 is one-tenth, one-tenth, of the mortality rate of the annual flu, uh, annual flu. Now, that's good news. Are they right? Are they wrong? I don't know. They're credible sources. These are guys that know what they're doing. They've run the numbers. They've suggested that the mortality rate is not the apocalypse that we're hearing. Now, I am not suggesting that this disease should be belittled and ignored. I am not suggesting that this is a conspiracy theory where the disease is being made up and it's not real. What I am suggesting is that as an intelligent free society, we we might want to talk about all the data that's available. This is the nature of science. Be constructively critical. Ask good questions. Be open to hearing the answers before you draw a conclusion. But yet we're not seeing that out of the media. We don't hear about the good news. We don't hear about the upside. All we hear All we hear is is the apocalyptic predictions. And I think we should step back, take a breath, ask good questions, and not virus shame those such as me who just said what I said simply for saying that. Just because I'm asking a question does not mean I'm Thai Mary. It does not mean I'm ignoring the reality. It does not mean I think that I have the freedom to go out and cough and sneeze on everybody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is recognize the value of good questions
2: and that you know and and sometimes those questions are are not asked of the right people and i and i blame the media they have a role in this you know we talk about our leaders we talk about the things that they highlight the things that they suppress and and so much of that is the media They're not asking questions. I don't know why here. Again, I know you're not terribly familiar with the inner workings of state government here in the state of Ohio. But, you know, the state of Ohio was one of the last two states to report uh, the number of negative tests that have been uh, conducted in private facilities as required by the CDC. So, you know, negative tests or people, the number of people who have recovered from the virus as opposed to died from the virus here in the state of Ohio. Those things have been buried for a long time now. And I want to know. I'm asking it, but I'm not at the press conferences. I'm not in Columbus. When are the media going to ask those questions? They play a big role in this corruption of the soul as well.
3: You know, it's, it's almost like this is the first disease that has, it's the Vietnamization of disease, of the flu. And what do I mean by that? War, the coverage of the war in Vietnam changed the very nature of how a free society, a free people in the United States accepted or rejected the idea of war. We know that because we saw the news on a minute-by-minute basis, we saw the death toll, we saw the body counts, we saw the body bags, we saw it every night with Walter Cronkite and the crew on the news. It was relentless. We know that it affected the psyche, the mind, the heart, and the soul of the American people to the point where they said, enough is enough. We're not going to accept this anymore. Even though you could argue that Vietnam was not as catastrophic as World War I and World War II, but we accepted those wars in a different fashion because it hadn't been, the, the news had not been Vietnamized yet by constant, relentless, uh, the, 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 uh, not no pun intended, but the Chinese water torture, the drip, drip, drip of the constant negative. And I think that's what we're seeing right now in terms of the public reaction to uh, a biological issue, a disease.
2: Dr. Everett Piper is our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Doctor, I want to go back to leadership. And, um, you know, one of the things that, I, I, as you talk about, you know, and you quote scripture and you you talk about uh, the corruption of the soul as opposed to corruption of the body, um, the one place that people, I think, can find solace um, is being taken away from them in the name of the health crisis. And, of course, I'm talking about their houses of worship talking about their, their churches or their synagogues or even their mosques, um, that's the one thing that's being denied. Church services are deemed to be non-essential, and in fact, some uh, police officers have already, upon orders from uh, various local governments around the country, have, have broken up church gatherings. Um, I, I use that to point to Bill de Blasio from last week, the mayor of the biggest city in, in the country, who said the following... I want to say to all of those who are preparing for the potential of of religious services this weekend, if you go to your synagogue, if you go to your church, and attempt to hold services after having been told not to do so, our enforcement agents will have no choice but to shut down those services, he says. Then continues... Uh, calling upon religious citizens, asking that anyone who witnesses services uh, taking place to report them to the congregation's officials and request that they stop services. Should that not be enough, the mayor said, authorities may, quote, take additional action up to the point of fines and potentially closing the building permanently, end quote. Dr. Piper, I don't have to tell you what that means, but I want to hear you describe it. This isn't about breaking up a service right now for the fear of spreading the virus. It's about re- revenge. It is about avenge, avenging uh, somebody who dared defy the all-powerful authority of, in this case, the local government. Go ahead.
3: It's stunning. It's stunning that he would go from, we want you, we're asking you, we're requesting that you not have services during this time where we don't understand the um, contagion that is before us. So church, synagogue, we're asking you to help us. That is one thing. And frankly, as a Christian, I think I'm obligated to show deference to my brother who may be afraid. Romans 13 tells me, if eating meat offends my brother, then I shouldn't eat meat. Well, if congregating with people who might be contagious offends my brother and makes a non-christian or a christian fearful then maybe i out of deference to them want to step back away and say okay let's talk this out but to be told by the government that you will we order you to shut down and if you don't we will penalize you not only now but permanently is orwellian it's as if Aldous Huxley is laughing at this brave new world, this utopian, this, this, it's not a utopia. It is a frightening result. I know I need to be quiet and let you take breaks.
2: No, I I would love for you to go on on that, because you're right. That is exactly what I thought as well, as Orwell lives. There's no question about it, but you're right. We do have to take this time out so that I have room on the other side to ask you about the response in New York to the offer of Franklin Graham's organization, Samaritan's Purse, to build a temporary hospital in Central Park. And the... Um, <clears throat> Appreciation shown by several New York leaders. I'll get your thoughts on that as we continue. Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1023 now. We continue... We moved a little bit of our traffic to the other side of the uh, bottom of the hour, Dr. Piper, because I want to spend a little bit of time on this. Um, Franklin Graham is a well-known evangelist, uh, and he is the leader of the organization Samaritan's Purse. He has offered his services and the services of Samaritan's Purse to come and try to save lives in New York City uh, by building a temporary hospital in Central Park. He spoke about this on Fox News. North Carolina based, and Ch- I did not keep my place. I apologize. I wanted to just hear right from, the, uh, from Franklin Graham himself, but uh, apparently we can't. Well, let's try one more time. Prayer that there will be many people, Griff, uh, millions of people, not only across this country but around the world, who will look to God and who put their faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ, we celebrate Easter because He died for our sins. He was buried, but on the third day, God raised Him to life. And uh, this is our hope for anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He said, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll never forsake you. He'll be with us always. And uh, we know that one day, all of us are going to have to uh, face death and stand before God. And uh, I know that my sins are forgiven. And I'm, I know that when that day comes, I'll be ready to stand before for him, so it is my prayer that there'll be millions this Easter who will turn their hearts back to God and who will put their faith and trust in his son Jesus Christ. All right. So uh, Franklin Graham, president of Samaritan's Purse, uh speaking of bringing faith together with science. He's bringing medical science, obviously medical technology in the form of the uh temporary hospital in Central Park. His reception there though was less than uh than uh, uh, gracious by a couple of New York uh elected officials, including a councilman who suggested that Franklin Graham has who has a long history of spewing anti-LGBTQ quote, hate speech, requires monitoring the situation closely to make sure that our values are being represented at all times. And then State Senator Brad Hoyleman, who suggested that Graham, because of his anti-LGBTQ views, might treat um, uh, different patients uh, differently based on their sexual orientation uh, in the uh, medical tents that are being put up. That's a lot of information, but the bottom line is this. There's a charitable effort being offered by a Christian evangelical that is being cr- uh, ridiculed and uh, uh, and unappreciated by liberal leaders in New York City. Dr. Piper, go ahead.
3: It's, it's anti-Christian bigotry. It's, it's, uh, it's Christophobia, if you will. It's phobia of Christianity. It is this anti-Christian. Christian, anti-religion, anti-conservative agenda. There was another op-ed in the Washington Times during the same time frame as these uh, as this story where an op-ed in the New York Times actually said that the coronavirus is being spread by conservatives and Christians and we are to blame. I mean, I want to ask, what's next? Are you going to blame us for burning Rome while Nero fiddles and are you going to march us off to the Colosseum as punishment for that? This is crazy and it is not in keeping with a truly civil society that will accept people of different views and allow them to engage in the public square for common good. You know, you can disagree with Franklin Graham's view of Christianity. I don't. I embrace it. But an atheist or an agnostic should acknowledge and be thankful for the fact that he's trying to save human lives and he's serving people. Samaritan's Purse is an organization that feeds the hungry, it provides medicine for the sick, and it has been doing so for decades. It has never discriminated on the basis of religion. They give food and medical care to Muslims, to Jews, to atheists, to agnostics, to Anglicans, to Anabaptists, to Catholics, and to Charismatics. Samaritan's First, does not care. They provide you with the services you need, medically and physically. That is what they do. And while they do so, they talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them do so. In fact, if I were an agnostic or an atheist, I would say, who cares? They are helping the people. And oh, by the way, Bob, it's interesting that while these people that are pro-LGBTQ are railing against Franklin Graham for serving gays and homosexuals, as well as everybody else that needs medical care, while they're railing against him, they ignore the medical data that was on January 25th. The total number of deaths worldwide for coronavirus on January 25th was 21,000. On the same day, the total number of deaths as a result of HIV AIDS was 391,000. So there is a issue here with regard to the lack of consistency and care for those things those uh, diseases that are the result of human activity franklin graham's solution might actually help people stop getting hiv and aids because he's addressing the behavioral choices that bring people to the table that brings that disease with them
2: You know, and I'm glad to hear you address that part of this because I have a big problem with people being labeled, particularly evangelicals, being lab, uh, labeled um, as, as anti-LGBTQ or, or, or LGBTQ bigots, etc., because they simply believe in the biblical definition of marriage. And that's what Franklin Graham has said mostly, as, as well as so many others. You know, if you're opposed to same-sex marriage, it does not make you a bigot. It makes you somebody who is adhering to your faith and adhering to Scripture. And that is not something, that is supposed to be frowned upon or uh you know uh, um uh, made a reason to attack somebody simply because they actually believe in their religion the second amendment is supposed to protect that or excuse me not the second the first amendment excuse me
3: exactly and you know what i'm go- i've said it a thousand times on your show i'm going to say it very briefly one more time mm-hmm. the biblical worldview is the highest view of humanity the biblical worldview is a worldview that elevates humanity to the imago Dei, the image of God. We have the thumbprint of God on our heart, mind, and soul. We are not animals. We are the imago Dei. We are not the imago dog. We're the imago Dei, the image of God. We elevate the human being to the highest compliment ever given in the history of humanity as to who you are as a man and a woman. We do not dumb down the definition of the human being to nothing but your inclinations, whether they be... Sexual or otherwise your identity is more than what you're inclined to do your being is more than your behavioral choices graham agrees with that and champions that and yet he's being besmirched by the media and by these leftists who don't like the fact that he disagrees with the kind of sex they want to have because he thinks it's wrong unhealthy for heart mind body and soul
2: Dr. Everett Piper stated so eloquently as always. I appreciate all of your analysis, your scriptural uh, um, analysis as well, Dr. Piper, and thank you so very much. Continued health to you and all of those around you, and we'll talk to you next week.
3: Blessings. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you, Dr. Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420. The answer takes us to our 1030 news. On the flip side of the news, we're going back into the geopolitics of the COVID-19 Chinese coronavirus. And specifically, we're going to talk about China's role in this. Not just whether or not the virus came from bat soup in a wet market in Wuhan, or it came from a bioweapons lab. One of two located in Wuhan. But it's what China did about it after the fact. That's what we're going to talk about with our next sketch on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 1039, we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. We've got just 21 minutes of outstanding, awesome left for you. Let's make the most of it. Let's go back to geopolitics, which is essentially what the um, Chinese coronavirus uh, virus has devolved into. The Chinese communist government... Um, didn't just not deal with the coronavirus when it broke out there, whether it came from a lab or from a bowl of bat soup. They deliberately covered it up and allowed people to travel from Wuhan into other parts of the world, which is, of, which is of course, what led to this global pandemic. And now the Chinese government is trying to profit from it. They are profiteering, they're issuing propaganda, blaming it on the United States, and uh, they have uh, apparently convinced the World Health Organization that they are the model for how to, for how to deal with the pandemic that they themselves are responsible for. Join us, joining us now to talk about it is um, Mary Graybar. Mary Graybar is... Um, She holds a doctorate in English from the University of Georgia, and she's a resident fellow at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization, perhaps best known as the author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. Uh, Mary, thanks so much for your time. How are you today?
4: Oh, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me.
2: It's a pleasure to have you. you, You've uh, got some really, really great insights into what's going on in China right now, and particularly... In response to a leftist professor named uh, Tony Perman, who said that buying into the Chinese propaganda and indeed helping to spread it, that he felt safer in China than in the USA. And the reason why is because the USA entrusted him to self-isolate and never checked on him to enforce it, while the Chinese state's heavy-handed approach seemed to work. Apparently, welding people's doors shut so they cannot get out and no one can get in is uh, is a better model for some people who are leftists in this country. Uh, how do you respond to that?
4: Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, I was just uh, struck by that. You know, I thought, well, here we have another useful idiot, as they used to call them, and uh, promoting, you know, communist propaganda, one of our own. Um, Of course, you know, the the Chinese, according to him, are providing the model, but what he doesn't say is that uh, they let the whistleblowing doctor uh, die, they, uh, you know, they punished the doctors who released a video talking about this, uh, way back, I think it was late December. And, uh, then they forced th- this one doctor to go back to work and he contracted the virus and he died. Well, that's one way to sort of keep the spread from going, I guess, you know, make, you know, just let people die. And, uh, you know, deny, as you said, that anything is wrong at all. And then being in with the World Health Organization and letting them also spread your false information that back in January that this wasn't being spread by human to human contact. And thus, uh, y- you know, persuading the world that there was nothing wrong or trying to persuade the world. So uh but of course this professor does not say anything about how the Chinese government the communist government covered up uh you know the these doc what these doctors were saying and how they punished them so um you know it it's just amazing in the selectivity of his information which is very much the way Howard Zinn, the late historian who wrote a People's History of the United States, operated—he, he, he just leaves out these huge chunks of information.
2: I want, to, I want to come back to Howard Zinn in a moment and your book, um, which uh, which is very important and interesting. But to the point you just made about that doctor, it's still going on. I have a story in front of me from yesterday, uh, the World Tribune. Uh, reporting that a Chinese college student who publicly called for the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, to relinquish power after its mishandling of the outbreak, his name is Zhang Wenbin, a college senior and programmer from China's northeastern Shandong province, posted a video on March 30th in which he called for he essentially said, "Down with the Communist Party." Um, he is nowhere to be found as of yesterday, mm. April 1st. He's missing uh you mm-hmm. mentioned they're letting people die i uh, i would submit you know and we don't know dr graybar we don't know for certain but this is a China, or this is a communist government i don't know if it's just letting them die or if they are killing people who are getting the virus so they can keep their numbers down or mm-hmm. uh or or making people disappear
4: uh yeah i i i would definitely agree that they are uh killing people i think they with with that one particular doctor they uh wanted him to uh you know perform his services and uh he died of after contracting the disease but you know you have to remember if you re- read the epic times w- which is where my column was uh published they've been exposing uh, what the chinese are doing with organ harvesting and repressing religious minorities um you know this has been going on uh, you know, ever since the communists got into power, nothing has really changed. Uh, what they do is they have absolutely no respect for human life. It's all about the collective, and it's all about the communist party. And so they will repress information. They will kill people. They will disappear them. And, uh, you know, lie to the rest of the world, which is, you know, being exposed right now through this crisis. It's finally hitting people, you know, smack upside the head. You know, we, we can't ignore it anymore. It's come over here. It's entered, uh, you know, in, in our uh, country.
2: We are talking with uh, Dr. Mary Graybar about the Chinese disinformation campaign, the Chinese responsibility for the pandemic that is costing so many people their lives around the globe, how many businesses here in the United States are going to never be able to recover from this economic shutdown as a result of that, and how the Chinese continue to deny their own responsibility and, in fact, are trying to use this uh, to profit. Uh, And and, and, and let me just ask you that part before we get into Howard Zinn. How insane is it that this country is actually be having their, um, their uh, pre- protective and preventative gear held up during the pandemic caused by China because the manufacturer of such an extraordinary percentage of that gear is done in China? The Manufacturing is done in China.
4: Uh, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely ludicrous. And... Um, you know, I think we let our guard down during, you know, after the Cold War in the 1960s, there was a lot of disinformation being spread about communist regimes, and, uh, you know, we may, uh, <laughs> fault uh, Nixon for Watergate, but that, I mean, that's a different topic, but, uh, you know, the notion that you can, uh, cooperate with a, an evil regime, a, an evil communist regime, is being proven to be false. It's dangerous. Um, You know, you you can't persuade a government by having trade with them to reform. (laughs) You know, it has to be the other way around. And uh, it's truly tragic, and it truly is a wake-up call, uh, you know, to this country. We need to bring our manufacturing back, and we need to... uh, you know, cut off the ties with the communist regime.
2: Uh, Dr. Mary Graybar is our guest, and we're talking about um, uh, China and their responsibility for this pandemic and uh, what they have dodged. Last question on this before I talk about your book. Um, it's noted that among the, uh, the various generations right now, um, Generation Z, which, of of course, is the youngest generation, does not get it. Um, Only 57% of Generation Z can identify China as a communist country as opposed to a democratic one. Uh, Only a slightly higher percentage of millennials believe that China is a communist regime. And, of course, it's boomers and the older generation that's been studying and paying attention to this. uh, Over 80% of them understand that. How dangerous is it if our youngest people, the future leaders of this country, do not recognize the threat that a communist China poses?
4: Well, it's incredibly dangerous. You can see the way that they're voting uh, and supporting Bernie Sanders and voting for people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, believing that socialism is great and that we have to bring it to our country. And, uh, you know, they're getting lessons that portray communist regimes as, being more just and equitable and freer, um, you know, when, of course, that is not the case if you look at history. And um, and so we're, we're, uh, you know, experiencing this uh, attitude shift among the young. You know, fortunately it doesn't, I don't know if Bernie Sanders has a chance, but look at what the future holds. I mean, look at his supporters that are, Millennials and Generation Z. I mean, it's, you know, we've imported this virus or this virus has you know, infiltrated this country, but we've got the virus of thinking that communism is great, and this is what you know, the, the people that are you know, the, the future of our country believe. I mean, and a lot of these people are already middle-aged, and they believe this. They believe what they've been taught in school.
2: Uh, Dr. Graybar, let's talk about Howard Zinn. Let's talk about your book, Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. Not only do people know who he is, give us a little synopsis of him and the book that has been called by some kind of an American Mein Kampf uh, 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 from, from the hate America left. Tell us about him.
4: Yeah, uh it uh, it is like Mein Kampf. that's from David Horowitz who um you know wrote a nice blurb for it and it is propaganda. It is uh it is a work that's intended to gin up hatred and and the hatred is for the United States. Howard Zinn was born in 1922. Um he grew up in uh New York City in Brooklyn and uh was the son of of Jewish-Russian immigrants who never really uh, made it, you know, financially lower middle class. And uh, he joined the Communist Party. So he was a member of the Communist Party from about 1948 to 1953. And uh, so he had served in World War II as a bombardier, came back um, and worked on his Ph.D. from Columbia in History, and while he was doing that, he was also teaching Marxism at the Communist Party headquarters. He dropped his official membership, as many communists did at the time, in order to infiltrate the institutions, and he got a job uh, teaching at Spelman College in 1956 and he taught there until 1963 when he was fired for insubordination. Um, now, Spelman College, uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, was a college, a small Christian college for black women. And uh, Howard Zinn, the atheist-communist, turned the students against uh, their religious upbringing, said you don't need to go to chapel, you don't need to follow the curfew, and was fired by the first black and the first male president of that college for insubordination. Howard Zinn claimed he was leading them on civil rights uh, campaigns. He then got a job at Boston University and taught there until he retired in 1988. And his primary focus was, of course, uh, spreading propaganda through his classes. He led uh, many uh, anti-Vietnam War protesters. He was known for that in the 1960s and 1970s and made headlines and then tried to uh, get a propaganda win for the North Vietnamese by going with Father Berrigan to get three American POWs and, uh,
2: well, uh, Dr. Graybar, I need, to, I need to jump good. in here. Yeah, I need to jump in here because it's a, you could go on for a long time, I know, about yeah. about Howard Zinn. Uh, and, I, and I want people to read your book so they can learn more about him. And then the facts, uh, you know, countering his ridiculous uh, manifesto of hatred for the United States. Uh, Mary Graybar's book is Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History That Turned a Generation Against America. It's a regnery book. It is an outstanding read. It's something I highly recommend. Mary Graybar is the author. Mary, thank you very much for the time, for the analysis of what's going on in China, and for writing this book. I wish you all the success in the world. Thank you. Thank you. That's Mary Graybar. It's 1053. We've got to get out and come back in and wrap it up on AM 1420, The Answer. Well, as expected, we have a very short segment here to wrap it up. Thanks to our two great guests, Dr. Everett Piper and uh, Dr. Mary Graybar, Ph.D., uh, who wrote that book, Debunking Howard Zinn. You really want to read that, because uh, there is an entire generation of Americans that has been corrupted by this communist sympathizer. I mean, for crying out loud, thanks to them, they were almost a- able to get a, a, an avowed, self-described socialist the nomination for one of the two major parties for President of the United States. That's how serious it is in this country right now uh, with respect to the younger generation's uh, misunderstanding of what communism and socialism is and their embracing of it in the United States. So it kind of matters. Uh, Let me get a call in here before we're done, though, from Gary in Berea. Gary, you're on the air. Go right ahead.
3: Hey, Bob, it's Gary Broberg. I want to encourage you and all your listeners to um, check out the uh, Akron Beacon Journal tomorrow. There's going to be a major article uh, that discusses a plan and a technology for being able to check everybody for the coronavirus within 30 days in the state of Ohio, and hopefully the plan will catch uh, other, you know, catch the fancy of other states. So that's it. It'll be an Akron Beacon Journal, Mar.
2: I appreciate it. I will definitely look for it. I uh, I'm very and thank you again for the call, Gary. Uh, I'm very interested in all of these new methods. They're talking about being able to, to check people and get results on these within minutes. You know, first it was gonna be, you know, you know, a week and a half to 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 two weeks, and then it was gonna be maybe four to six days, and then it was gonna be maybe a matter of hours, now we're hearing minutes, now we're hearing their tray yesterday at the end of the show, same way we are right now. Somebody called and told us about dogs. They're having dogs that have already been trained to smell malaria and other diseases. There are cancer-sniffing dogs and others uh, that are able to to smell the coronavirus. So they can just have them come by and just like they're sniffing for drugs, can sniff and start barking at anybody that uh, they can detect with the coronavirus. So there's all kinds of new tech and new uh, uh, exploration being done, and that is certainly something that we are interested in. Okay, thanks uh, very much for being a part of the show. Uh, Very, very uh, uh, very appreciative of your attention. Keep that attention here for Mike Gallagher, who's next on AM 1420, The Answer. Bye-bye.
4: Enjoy the silence.